Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Ballas, otherwise known as Brutal Gash in Reddit land. On this episode of the podcast, we're really excited to welcome as our guest, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com and host of the Locked On Celtics Podcast, John Corrales. Jackson, Joe, and myself called up John yesterday afternoon to talk about his early beginnings as a sports writer, early Celtics memories and obscure old school Celtics players, the evolution of Celtics internet culture, and of course, the current Celtics and a whole lot more. A quick production note, we had some issues with the first minute or so of John's audio, so while the quality there starts off poorly, it does get a lot better after about a minute or so. So without any further ado, here's John Corrales on the Celtics Reddit podcast. All right, folks, we of course have Jackson and Joe with us today, but we also have, and I'm very happy to welcome, Celtics beat writer from MassLive.com and host of the very awesome Locked On Celtics podcast, John Corrales. John, welcome, mate. How's it going? Ah, it's going great. How you guys doing? Very good. It's a, it's a nice Saturday here. Can't complain. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to rub it in um, to all the, um, to all the people, and you know, in in the New England area. But um, it's been very hot in this part of the world for the last couple of months, and today <laughs> is like you mercifully just a slightly cool change. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun well, having you. It's, yeah, it's great to have you, John. Joe actually lives in a place called Middle Earth, <laughs> Mordor. <laughs> No, it's great. It's it's great. I mean, I'm excited to be on here. Oh, excited even! Wow. Oh. Oh, oh, <laughs> we'll take it. So, look, m- myself and I'm sure a lot of people listening are, are familiar with your work, John. But beyond that, we don't really know like that much about you or who you are as a person. So, I, I want to get to that. Where are you from originally, and and how did you first get into basketball? Uh, so, okay, I was born and raised in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which is uh, outside of, of, of Boston, probably about a 40-mile drive south of Boston, uh, just over the Massachusetts border in Rhode Island. So I am, uh, my parents are both Greek, came over from Greece, settled in that area, and uh, I, I, geez, I first got into basketball when I was young, uh, and I, I was a late bloomer when it came to basketball, so it didn't go very well when I was young, kind of got out of it for a little while, and then when I got into like junior high school and middle school, uh, as a 12 year old or so, I, uh, got back into it. And when I was in high school, I had a good coach that kind of, I, 
I was six three. I don't know what that translates to in meters. Multiple multiple meters, John. Multiple. Yeah, multiple. Yes. Um, above average. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, above, well above average. Yeah, I was my first year of high school. I was probably the worst basketball player in the world. Just horrible. But my coach was like, I mean, here I was at thir- fourteen years old or so, at six six foot three, and. <laughs> That uh, he was like, well, you can't coach height, so we're gonna figure it out. Uh, long story short, you know, it took a lot of work, a lot of basketball camps, a lot of off-season work, but um, a lot of other sports to help me get into shape. But by my senior year, I, I got pretty good. Uh, was recruited to play in uh, various various colleges, Division three, Division two. Uh, ended up going to Emerson College. Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty fun. Um, I ended up going to Emerson College in Boston because it was one of the top communication schools in the country. Uh, I didn't go there for basketball. I ended up choosing my education first, uh, and then I just joined the basketball team and had a pretty good career there. And after that, I played a season in Greece before my body completely fell apart. And now <laughs> now I, I write and talk about it. That's, that's the nutshell version. So you're like Paul Shirley before Paul Shirley was Paul Shirley. I'm going to – I do not understand that reference, but yes. <laughs> me, oh. me neither. <laughs> Joe flex, flexing the oh, possible man, he was, intellect. He, was, he sort of – yeah, he, he was like on the Suns and like this maybe the second year that Nash came and he had this blog on page two and he was just like – he was kind of like – he was kind of like the insider's view on the locker room and how crazy everything oh, was. Nice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a deep cut. John, can I ask what, what, what Greek team you played for? Uh, it no longer exists, exists, but it was called Iakas Naflio, which uh, was a lower league team. So I'm not gonna. It was not like in the Panathinaikos or the Olympiakos levels. It was a. It was like a B level team. Sure. sure. I was gonna. You guys might not know this about me, Ben and Joe, but I actually have a favorite Greek team. Uh, I probably butchered the pronunciation of this, but they're Arias Thes- Thesnalunki or something like that. And I only like. Yeah, I only like them because there's this YouTube video of their fans, like the most hardcore like soccer hooligans you've ever seen in life, all packed into this small basketball arena, and they have these ridiculous routines, and they throw like all these uh, streamers and shit on the court, and it's just out of this world. And ever since then, which is about two years ago, I've been like very moderately following them. So <laughs> it's good to know that you got a Greek affiliation. <laughs> basketball is huge in Greece, like huge, huge, huge. And I was when I was there, it was a long time ago. Now we're talking about 20 years ago or so. When, when I played, and even back then, that was, you know, the, the, where Greek basketball was really emerging and, and, and becoming a, a power in, in Europe. So uh, it was fun. It was fun to play out there. Was, was the level that you were playing at, was it the same level that Giannis was playing at before he got drafted? It's the same level as his brother is playing at, who is not, as, not quite as good as Giannis. But uh, it, it was the same. <laughs> There's a lot of people who aren't quite as good as Giannis, so that's <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's all right. It was, <laughs> it was, it was the same level as as where his brother was playing at the past couple of years. Did Did you ever play against any any guys that made the league? No, no. I can say I played pro. I've got the jersey hanging on my wall. Um, I got oh, a nice little geez. bit of history, but um, it was. It, it, I'm not going to pretend like it was like some sort of massive high level thing i got paid a little bit of money to play basketball dude well that's the dream though right i mean you 
you made it way further than the majority of people who are into hoops. So, uh, so good for you. I, we all have that in common, I, I guess. None of us have ever played against any NBA players or anyone who made the NBA. So uh, <laughs> we can all relate on that level. So uh, obviously, you know, since those early beginnings, you, you've become a, a Celtics beat writer and reporter and podcaster. So like, I, I'm curious to know what came first. Was it the Celtics um, supporter and, and writer as a job or did you become a Celtics fan first? Well, I mean, I'm grew up in the new england area so sure. I, my first my first exposure to basketball was watching the celtics and larry bird and and that era of basketball so i've i've been a celtics guy for a long time for for most of my life uh i started covering the team and i'm gonna say that in air quotes loosely <laughs> uh 13 years ago or so, we launched the blog RedsArmy.com. And as a side gig for while I was working in television, because I spent about 20 years working in, in television, uh, I would, myself and uh, Chuck McKenney would kind of run this blog with the various other writers. And it was just more of like a hobby, a fun thing. And then, I don't know, some like five or six years ago, I'd say, the uh, it started to really maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, it started to really get popular and I started to really get the idea that I could do some more with this than, than have it just be a, a side gig. So I started to really focus on it while I was still working full time. Uh, the past eight years, probably past five years, I was working at this job in uh, New York City where I was producing news and, and doing some feature reporting. And uh, I was really getting into the, the writing and, and doing radio hits and podcasting and all of that. Mm -hmm. And really within the past year is when I've, I, I started to go full bore into this and you know, quit that job and started covering the team on my own and then ending up getting this job with Mass Live as the beat writer. So it's, it's really only recently that I've been able to focus on it full time it's it's been for a while kind of like a a sort of hobby but like more of my full-time hobby mm. was it what was the i don't know what was like there must have been a point at which it was at its hardest you know like where you were that much invested in your in your in your in your quote-unquote hobby and still and still completely involved in your job like was it just like a case of i've got to make a choice to do this full-time or i can't keep it up or was it was it always kind of were you always kind of able to keep it going as a hobby? No, I, it w very much came down to a choice of of I had to do one or the other because right. I was I was getting up at seven seven thirty in the morning to go to a job, and basketball is a nighttime sport. It's uh -huh. the games the early games start at seven, and then if they go out west or you know I co-host a, a locked on NBA podcast, so I have to. Be aware of the rest of the league. I can't just – I focus on the Celtics primarily, but I have to watch and follow the rest of the league as well. So that means I'm up till 11.30, 12.30, 1.00, and then 7.00 rolls around real fast. Mm -hmm. So it got, it got old, uh, and it got very, very stressful. And I, I did make the choice at the end of last year to say um, – and I actually, I made the choice – early last year but it took until the end of last year to you know 
cross the T's, dot the I's, as they say, make sure that financially I was set, setting myself up for making this the right move and, and get, getting the podcast to a point where it was doing well enough where I could make the move. Uh, and I, I just quit my job and said, uh, I'm moving back to Boston and I'm doing this. Uh, you may, I don't know if you noticed on Twitter where I was really trying to get people to subscribe to my yeah. Patreon mm -hmm. for a while. Mm -hmm. That was, that was my, that was my full-time thing. And I was just going to say, I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to get these subscribers and I'm going to be my own outlet. And I'm just going to cover the team full-time on my own for myself. And just coincidentally that uh, the job at Mass Live kind of opened up around the same time and uh, I ended up getting hired full time for them. But I had made the decision to move from New York to Boston and quit my my full time job well before that and because of what you said, because it was just it was too much. And I had to I had to give up one and mm -hmm. I sure as hell wasn't going to give up basketball. It just I just couldn't <laughs> pull even though the other job was paying me very, very well. I was in the number one TV market in America. I was doing on-air work. It, I mean, it really was a, a job that people would kill for. And I just said, I can't, it's just not what I want. And, and being in Boston and covering the Celtics and being around the team and talking about basketball all the time is what I want to do. So that, that's, that was the decision that I made. That's a, that's a really like a baller thing to do, right? Like uh, people, I bet a lot more people in life generally wish that they could, they could make that decision and, and follow their passion. So uh, good for you, man. It sounds like it's going really well. So good stuff. Well, thanks. Um, I, uh, I want to, I want to get back quickly to the, the Celtics background. So obviously you've been following yeah. the, the team uh, for a while and we've discussed this among the three of us on the podcast. What is your earliest uh, Celtics memory? Like what, what was a, a play or a, or a player that, that initially got you into the Celtics, aside from obviously living in the area? Well, so the my earliest Celtics memory was simply watching a game as a, like, 10-year-old or so. And at that point, it's, you know, Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. It's the beginning of the Big Three era. And I remember watching a game and wondering – I don't understand how a team wins this game when everybody's just making shots. Like <laughs> I just, just remember the ball always going in. And yeah. I was like, if the ball always goes in, how did, how does one team win? And how does one team lose? I, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Uh, that, I guess that just goes to show how good the basketball was back then. But, uh, but yeah, that's the, that's the earliest recollection of anything Celtics that uh, that I have. I say, John, did you have a favorite player back when you first started getting into it that maybe people don't, if maybe not heard of now, or, or that isn't necessarily a Hall of Fame or whatnot, but just back in the day you had a special affinity with, like a favorite little known player of yours? Not really, because everybody knows those guys. So uh -huh. there wasn't really like an obscure, uh, like obviously everybody loved Larry Bird and, and Kevin McHale. I, I was, because I was such a big guy in, 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 in Rhode Island, at, at that age, being over six feet tall made you like friggin', you know, uh, minute bowl, like a big like center, like. Um, yeah. So they all I all my lessons were like Kevin McHale post moves. So I mean Kevin McHale was was one of my favorites, but all of those guys, Dennis Johnson, like the entire work your way down uh, the the list there. But I mean those guys are all such famous Celtics now that Whitman, there's, there's Rick yeah. <laughs> 
I, it's not like I had a big Reggie Roby affinity. I, I didn't, you know, like it was just a, uh, you know, at that point I was young enough where I, I the, the nuance hadn't settled in yet. So I was, I was loving everybody, the same, the same players that everybody else loved. Obviously Larry Bird. I mean, how can you not love Larry Bird at that point? Yeah. Everybody, there was always something to love with everybody. Dennis Johnson was, was great. Danny Ainge. I mean, those, those teams were fantastic. So it yeah. just, just kind of loved everybody. I loved J.R. Brimmer. Do you remember J.R. Brimmer? He oh, was on, yeah, like, I remember J.R. Brimmer. <laughs> um, I want to say he was on like the 0102 team, or might have been the year afterwards. Because, yeah, that's right, because Ken Anderson got traded for Vin Baker and Brimmer stepped in. You know, so he, like, I was just like, just like, come on, J.R., crack a double digit average, you know? And I think he might have <laughs> got there, but yeah. And I was gutted when they traded Kedrick Brown. Delonte West, oh, Delonte West will always live on in my heart. One of easily. Oh, Delonte West, for this, uh, cult so figure, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean those guys, those those gritty guys, were always um, were always something. Um, I still, I liked like Vitali Potapenko right. was, you know, in in that in that era. Jeez, um, who else? Uh, I'm drawing a blank on. Oh, God. I liked Andre Miller better than. <laughs> oh, I'm drawing such a blank right now. Uh, I know that I hated Mark Blount. I hated Mark Blount. With <laughs> Everyone passion. hated that guy. <laughs> oh my God! Like there, that was a guy that I just, I just could not stand him. Um, that's yeah. I mean, there, there are other, there are other guys. Oh, I loved Ryan Gomes. Like when they were oh, making the, yeah. the the Ke- the Kevin Garnett trade, like that. When they made that Kevin Garnett trade, I was like, uh, "Oh, and you got to give up Brian Gomes!" Like, no, I hate that. Don't do that. Like, he's such a glue guy. Um, <laughs> Interesting segue, though. So, like for me, uh, like the internet and sports journalism through the internet came really before I started regularly watching Celtics games. Like, I was I was a fan of the Celtics through trading cards and things like that. But you know, over here in Australia, there, there's not a lot of coverage of the Celtics. For you, John, I'd imagine it was the other way around. Obviously, you were following the Celtics, you know, outside of the internet before internet fandom and, and sports journalism came along. And now we've got like weird Celtics Twitter. We've got Celtics Reddit, which we're obviously a big <laughs> fan of. And like these cult followings of like Yabu and the Time Lord and, and things like that. So what are your early memories of the Celtics internet and how did early Celtics internet days take its form and sort of evolve into what it is now? Well, look, I come from a time like... very much pre-internet very Uh very much pre-internet so when i was in high school trying to follow the celtics like we didn't even have cable television so when it first started for me i had the the six and eleven o'clock news and if they were out west i'd catch like first half highlights um and i would go to bed knowing well, Larry Bird scored eight points in the first half, and the Celtics uh, have a, a three-point lead, and that <laughs> at halftime, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And you wake up, and the game was over before the newspapers, because we all got newspapers back then. It it would end so late that it was after the deadline. So I would open up the newspaper, and it would say Boston at Los Angeles, and that's it. Like it would yeah, just—that's right. all it would say. Uh-huh. You know, it would say like late game. So I couldn't I wouldn't know until either a later edition of the paper came out or if somehow somebody either stayed up to watch it somewhere if it was even on TV or if if somebody somehow found out like from 
I, I, I forget even now. Like someone would hear, oh yeah, I heard that they won. Maybe a radio or something like that. Like, oh yeah, I heard that they won last night. And you would, you just wouldn't know until like it was like six o'clock the next day, <laughs> where I'd get to see the highlights of Celtics Lakers. So now, fast forward to the internet. The early days of the internet for the Celtics, it was like message boards, and so everybody would have like the topics laid out on the message boards. Uh, and we had one on Red's Army, the early Red's Army. Uh, but that, that's how we, we kind of had our conversations, our Twitter conversations, our Reddit-type conversations. It was kind of laid out like a Reddit, but it was like Celtics talk, NBA talk, whatever. And you click on Celtics talk, and it'd be all the little headlines. And then people would, within that, have their conversations. So it was like Reddit just became like an offshoot of – these message boards just get a, a better version of that um where you could like up the 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 reddit and dig at the time uh-huh. was like their their big thing was upvote downvote like you couldn't when when i was doing message boards early on like when the boston globe first went online as boston.com they had message boards and you would just have to the, the the most recent message was at the top and all of them just had the recent messages were on the top so you would you could miss things if you scroll down so what reddit and dig came out and did was allowed you to upvote and that's why they become so popular because there were some real crappy conversations going on and if you didn't scroll down far enough you'd miss them so you could upvote and, and the good conversations would just go to the top so, but the, the the message boards really predated that, and it was like comment sections on blogs before comments got really like bad and racist. Like uh-huh. they were actually good conversations that were happening on blog posts, where you know I would write a blog post and we would have a big long conversation about it afterwards, and it'd be like 20, 30 comments underneath it, and it was an actual good conversation, and then everything just kind of got toxic. But that's that's kind of how it started. I, I kind of remember, um, well, funny on the newspaper thing, I remember we had, we still had dial-up out here in, like, 2002, and I can actually remember <laughs> going into school, getting the newspaper, and, and, and flicking it open to see that the Celtics had beaten the Lakers. That was, like, in the... It actually would have been 2001. That was the year, the first, you know, um, Antoine Pierce year where they did really well. I was like, you know, yeah. like, I had to wait to see the paper, and then, oh, my gosh, we beat the Lakers. That's so amazing, you know, because they're in the middle of their three-peat. But... The game threads were, like, awesome because, like, I'm sure you guys can relate to this, um, Jackson, but, like, you know, you'd follow along, like, the play-by-play on Yahoo or NBA.com or ESPN or wherever you could find it. But the game threads provided the color. Like, you know, you, you just got an idea. Of, you'd be refreshing the game thread at the same time that you were refreshing the, you know, the um, the, the feed from, from whichever, you know, whichever source you got it from. And, like, so that was, like, really awesome, eh? Like, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd get the celebration part of it and people would describe the game to you. Um, man, League Pass has changed so many things, eh? I feel like I get more info from game threads and people's, like, you know, caps, lap lock, and lots of exclamation yeah. marks. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Like, you just know something really intense is happening. The play-by-play is, you know, <laughs> while factual. And you're right, it doesn't give you the same, you know, picture. So you got to have both these days anyway for me. Yeah, I mean, I've said this a couple of times before, but like I can sit alone in my lounge room here in Sydney, Australia at midday yesterday watching the Lakers game and yet 
I'm fully immersed with, you know, hundreds if not thousands of other Celtics fans via Celtics Reddit and via Twitter and, and like League Pass has its own inbuilt chat now. So it's, it's great. Like I, I know no people in my own social circle that like the Celtics and yet I feel like I know like dozens of them through the internet. So it's really come a long I way. I mean, look at what we're doing. Look at what we're yeah. doing right now. Like this is amazing to me. Yeah, when, when we first started <laughs> and we did like – so Celtics Stuff Live was one of the early podcasts – um, and it really was like they would they would actually broadcast live. And I remember trying to figure out, like, how the hell are they doing this? And it was, it was so <laughs> fascinating to me. Uh, and we started doing some stuff. And but the what the Internet has done for basketball is amazing, amazing because it's connected us. I mean, you guys, so two of you are in Australia, one is in New Zealand. That's right. So, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is. It is what time? It's like Saturday morning there. Yeah, it's just after uh, midday. It's like two thirty Saturday afternoon. So okay. Yeah. So I mean, this is why it's like two thirty in the afternoon in the summer where you guys are. And it's eight thirty p.m. on Friday in the dead of winter where I am. And here we are, just all. I don't know who the hell you guys are outside of <laughs> this basketball, but. Our differences, like, are whatever, all of this, like, we couldn't be further away from each other practically mm-hmm. if we tried. Yet, here we are, connected over this grand network of computers, talking about the same game that we both watched yesterday. This is, I mean, this is amazing stuff. It's awesome. And, and maybe because I'm older and I couldn't conceive of this when I was younger, <laughs> like, when, when I was growing up as a Celtics fan, I couldn't imagine being like, ah, oh, someday I'll be talking live with some you know a, a few dudes from australia and new zealand about what i'm watching on tv right now like mm-hmm. live over the like so uh, i'm i'm forever thankful i mean it's what's given me this opportunity like masslive.com doesn't exist the way it does without the internet without all of these outlets and the media that covers the the sport it, it has changed so much because of the internet and in social media and all of that, because there's just such demand. It's allowed more outlets. It's allowed more creativity. It's allowed for so many different things that just didn't exist back in the, the eighties, the formative years of, of us, of us watching some of it's good. Some of it's bad. You know, there, there's definitely a bad element to it as well, but you know, that's, I think this medium is still, Believe it or not, I, th- I still think it's in its infancy, and I, I think there's there's still a lot of figuring out how to navigate these waters uh, because there are a lot of people with no experience that are just coming into this. Like, I went to journalism school, and I've been a journalist for 20 years. I'm 45 years old. I've been doing this for a long time, and I can understand the practices, the uh, etiquette, uh, you know, when to say something when you want to say what's happening in the locker room, but you shouldn't because it's inappropriate mm-hmm. because there, you know, there's a line between how guys are acting and, and their expectation of privacy versus, you know, uh, if I said this, it'd be, you know, I'd get retweets, but it's, it'd be a dick move. Um, and, and that level of thing, like, <clears throat> so there are a lot of people, a lot of people who don't understand that. And, and so a lot of it's in its infancy, but uh, I mean, the power of the internet is amazing. And the way it's brought people together is amazing. And the way it's created this sport 
and created these salaries because you don't get the TV deal that they're on without the internet mm-hmm. uh, and, and the way it's grown everything. And it, the, you don't get the international appeal and the openness of international players. Like does, does Nikola Jokic a- exist like he does now without the internet and, and creating this atmosphere where he can see the game and he can learn the game and, and people can uh, accept a player like him, whereas in the past they haven't accepted European players. Like, th- there's a guy who'd be like, ah, I don't know, <clears throat> he's a Central European guy, probably too soft. Now here he is, an MVP candidate. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't exist in part without the internet. So the mm-hmm. the power of the internet on basketball has, is just far-reaching and amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Sla- yeah. Slash and rant. <laughs> It's a powerful rant. <laughs> That's why we had you on. <laughs> it, was a wholesome, it was a wholesome rant. No F-bombs. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I think the sort of Zach Lowe type guys that started covering the league, I think really um, helped to shine a light. I think I think they really... Zach Lowe's made a huge, huge difference. Um, I'm using him as an example because he's probably the most prominent one. But he's made a huge... Exa- you know, he's made a huge difference in sort of um, illuminating, I guess, the... The, the parts of the league that are awesome that wouldn't have been covered beforehand. So there's a combination of these personalities arriving on the scene and um, and also just um, also just the internet being like, oh, I can actually watch Nikola Jokic on League Pass right now. Whereas, like, back in the day, man, when, you know, I was lucky to get, if I had Sky Sport, I'd be lucky to get one NBA game a week. And it'd just be, you're not going to get the equivalent of Jokic and the Nuggets. You'd get, you know... I mean, you get like Knicks games and stuff like that, yeah. you know. So you're watching Spruill and Houston chuck up 18. Well, all game. <laughs> yeah, he would have been a mystery hidden in the stats in the newspaper at a high school in New Zealand, and now he's anywhere, totally. everywhere, whenever you want him. Right? Uh, it's amazing. Exactly. Joker on demand. Sorry, Zach Lowe is a great example, and going a step above Bill Simmons, who mm. hired Zach Lowe. Now. Whatever people think Bill Simmons has become now, at the beginning, he was the Boston sports guy, and he used the internet in a blog, and he created this empire. He's, like, self-made mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Like, yeah, he got hired by ESPN, but he, he kind of made ESPN hire him because he became so popular. Now, he gets into a position to hire Zach Lowe, Zach Lowe, who started Celtics Hub and was a Celtics blogger for a while. That's how he really got his start. I mean, he had, he had been doing some reporting and teaching before that, but really he started blogging with Celtics Hub, and then that's his entree into sport basketball journalism. Now Bill Simmons hires him, and now what do we have? Bill Simmons starts the ringer, and he starts hiring all of these other young people. Kevin O'Connor, who was a local Celtics blogger, now goes into the ringer. He's developing sources. He's starting to break news. Mm-hmm. So – some of these some of these names like think about all of this awesome basketball coverage that we wouldn't have like Zach Lowe in the Low Post podcast and how I I mean I I know Zach so I might be a little bit biased but I think he's awesome. I think he's really one of the best if not the best out there covering the sport right now and all because he started a blog, he's very good, mm-hmm. obviously very good but it's it's consider it like expansion in basketball back when there were 10 teams in the NBA and 10 players on a roster, well, there's a hundred NBA players. Now you got 450 NBA players because 
the league has expanded. It's, it, the coverage has expanded, too. So in many ways, a lot of the great journalists who are now covering the team, covering teams that they didn't have the opportunity before. And that goes across like SB Nation. SB Nation is was sports blog nation. Like they were just a network of sports blogs. And now look at what they've become. Like yeah. all of that because of the power of the Internet. And it's everything's expanded. And again, not all positive. There's negatives to it, too. But so many great people covering the sport that we might not have ever heard of. Who do you who do you really who do you really rate, John? Like, which voices do you really go to and think, oh, if if they say something on the NBA, like, if if they say something you disagree with, put it this way, you listen, you think, man, maybe I got something wrong. Like, who who's some dudes that really stick out for you? I I definitely like Zach is probably my number one guy. Um, he's I just think he's really really smart. Um, there I mean there are a few other guys. Um, um. Oh God, I'm just, I can't believe, I apologize. I'm just totally uh, <laughs> blanking on names here all of a sudden. I don't J- know why. J- my Jake King? Jake King? Or nah? <laughs> no, no, Jake King, Jake King no. is trash. Jake King is like the worst. <laughs> uh, but but a lot, like a lot of these SB Nation guys, um, Jay's actually very good, uh, but don't tell yeah, him I is. said that. We'll come um, out. <laughs> yeah, edit that out, yeah, or yeah, at least timestamp. Tell, tell him I was drunk when I said that. Um, but yeah, there's like I, most of my most of my stuff now goes uh, from like I listen to the podcast now. So Zach's podcast, Woj's podcast, um, and then really just individual podcasts. I like listening to team podcasts because the you get a level of nuance with individual team podcasts that you don't get on the national level, like a Nuggets podcast uh, the locked on nuggets podcast would just get me so much more in depth with what i'm trying to figure out because i don't get a, I, I watch nuggets games but from that's that's like the national level and and i want to make sure that i'm getting the nitty-gritty and making sure like the things that i'm seeing are are kind of accurate so that that's really like the where i like to go is is now local podcasts so not to just plug my own podcast network, but when when you get to when you get to a network like ours where each individual team has has people that are covering it, like there are things about the Celtics that I know that people on the outside they just they just don't. You know, they, they just don't get to the level of drilling down the splits on Okay, so Jalen Brown is 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 doing what now? Like, well, yeah, you don't understand that his his splits from November 26, he's shooting 49.7 percent from the field since uh, since uh, November 26, and that's because Marcus Smart's when he, he went in the lineup and blah 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 in this lineup, and now they're starting to go with Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown first off the bench, and you know it's working this way. Like th- those little nuanced things. I, I wouldn't blame somebody on the national level for not knowing. And, and if I'm, if I'm going to be talking about these teams, that's why I like to listen to these other team, these other team podcasts because they talk about shit like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I understand that. I, I find that I often listen to team podcasts, especially locked on podcasts of teams after we play them. It's like almost selfishly to hear yeah. their perspective on the Celtics. Like after we've it's destroyed them, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Totally. For uh, sure. With the amount of podcasts that are out there and like the all, all the bloggers and the reputable journalists and whatnot, do you feel like there's a point where the market or the, there could be like an oversaturation of content? Like for every one journalist who has legitimate sources and legitimate insight into the teams or the NBA in general, you've got a thousand bloggers who may not necessarily have those insights, but it's just the, the power and the sheer numbers of the opinion could maybe make some waves. Do you think we're at that point now where we might get to that point? Or do you think the cream's always kind of going to rise to the top, so to speak? I mean, I think the answer is yes to both things because we are we are in a point right now where there is an oversaturation. There may always be some level of oversaturation. Um, there's the the bad side of the internet is the um, the I guess part of it is the short attention span that it's created for some of the people that's consuming the content. So I can tweet something, let's say. Um, Okay, a great example. I was at the Lakers shoot-around yesterday morning, and LeBron was there, and he gave his his media scrum. And I don't know how many people tweeted it, but one of the things I did when I came back and I transcribed it, I said, okay, here's a good quote. I'm just going to tweet this quote from LeBron. And it was the quote about, you know, I'm not chasing anything. He was asked, like, is there – because you're 34 – and there's, you know, you only have so many years left in your career. Are you pushing, essentially he was asked, are you pushing this, the, the Lakers to do something now because you want to accomplish more before your, your career is over? And he's like, I'm not pushing for anything. I, I don't have to chase anything or whatever the exact quote was. Like, it's a good quote. I'm going to tweet it out. And it, it caught fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then other people started quoting out the same tweet the exact same phrasing, not people who were there, like uh, other accounts, like yeah. some like hoops, you know, hoops, hot, blah, 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 Twitter, whatever page. Like, clearly, you're not one of the journalists who was there. They just copy and paste my exact tweet. Boom. Send it out without crediting and you at all. Some didn't credit me. Some, instead of just retweeting me, would copy and paste the exact quote and then say via reds army underscore john like okay i'm glad you tagged me but like that's clout chasing at its finest Uh and like like you want you want all the retweets like you did none of the work so like just just retweet it so that mentality is part of the oversaturation and people just don't have the time or energy they just oh that's what lebron said i'm going to react to the first person i saw that so there exists this like it's almost like the secondary sneaker market there's like a resale of information out there where people who happen to follow these twitter or instagram or facebook accounts those people just it's not even aggregation it's it's basically just copying and pasting and it's it's irresponsible there's an irresponsible uh, factor to that because those people clearly don't have the ethics to confirm anything they'll just take the first juicy thing that they can find and tweet it out so if somebody puts something else out there that's wrong they will they will be the uh echo chamber for wrong information and that just mm. that goes down a road that the journalist in me not to sound haughty or anything like that or like i'm on some sort of high horse but there's I, I believe in, in some journalistic responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. And there are, like I said, any anybody can c- create a WordPress account. 
and come up with a fancy name and say, here's blah, blah, blah. And that's great. And if you work hard and you do the right way, then I hope it works out for you. But what ends up happening is it's just a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing and they screw up a lot and they don't have the rights. Like I said before, the journalistic training, they don't have the experience. They don't have mentors. They don't have anything, any guidance towards how things are, should be done. And that ends up, I think, hurting the overall product because it just floods the market with, with like inferior product. Now, at the same time, there's always a positive and negative to everything. It, it could challenge people like me in a way that forces me to step up my game, uh, which in, in many cases would be obviously a positive. If they're doing things and, and playing by a different set of rules, well, I can acknowledge that sometimes rules change. And if they're doing something in a certain way and it's – I might not like it, but – if they're doing something in an innovative way or if they're doing something in a way that challenges you know, the, the conventions, the norms, if there's something for the industry to take out of it, there's a positive there. Uh, but I, I just think that the oversaturation can be, can be bad. Uh, but at the same time, to your other point, the cream does rise to the top, I believe. And it's, I think when there's enough of an infrastructure, and I think we're getting there now, online, the 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 best of the best kind of can identify what the other good stuff is, and it gets magnified. And I think in, in at least the online basketball community, there's, there's enough, there's a competitiveness, but there's also like this kind of camaraderie amongst us all that like i want page views obviously that's my job but if somebody else does something good then i'm happy to amplify something good no matter where it comes from and i kind of feel like the the online community at least the ones i the, the part i'm familiar with has that camaraderie where good young mm -hmm. talent that comes on up is will get its fair fair shot and it's not going to get frozen out by some sort of complex of yeah, old journalists save. you know so yeah. i'm sorry what was that i just i just throw in a little a little aphorism you know we're, we're running a little long here but we can't have john corrales on the podcast without talking about the current day celtics as this team currently is a lot of drama throughout the uh, the season so far for the <laughs> celtics but quite an emotional roller coaster not just from the fan perspective but really from anywhere you're looking um john what's your what's your gut feeling on this team like are they real can they contend um you know you've mentioned on your podcast a lot um november 26 as a date and how they performed since that date do you think it's enough particularly with the recent uh, trade deadline movements uh, do you think it's enough for us to be confident that they can make it into the finals at this point you know i, I went all these rambling rants uh, about the internet so i could hopefully avoid these kinds of questions <laughs> sorry <laughs> too late no. <laughs> no no okay here we go actual basketball um i i do think that they they can they certainly can the road has gotten tougher uh the trade deadline has really 
made the East very, very interesting. Um, and the one dynamic that I'm very interested to see with this Celtics team is how they perceive themselves now after this trade deadline. So there's this one perspective that, wow, the Bucks got better. They got Miritich and the, the Raptors got better. They got Marcus Gasol and the Philly got better. They got Tobias Harris and all that. And, and boy, the Celtics, the Celtics might be the fourth, fourth team there. And the Celtics really got hurt at this trade deadline. That's one perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, because what was the biggest problem with the Celtics at the beginning of the season? They were the favorites. They came in thinking they were the favorites. They came in cocky like they were the favorites. They admitted that they were a little too full of themselves. Tatum, Brown admitted that. These guys didn't do some of the things. They thought that they could go out there, and their record against bad teams in the beginning of the season, those first 20 games, can, is the, the damning evidence of it because they rolled in up against those bad teams and sucked and lost against all of those bad teams. Since the lineup change and why the lineup change worked, uh, they've beaten the bad teams, generally speaking, last night notwithstanding. But they've beaten the bad teams because – Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris got into the starting lineup and got to do the dirty work, and that freed up the Jalen Brown to become himself off the bench, and it took some of the pressure off of Gordon Hayward, and it, it, Jason Tatum learned the lesson of, okay, I can't go out there and just be trying to, to ISO my whole way through the season because I think I'm Kobe Bryant now. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious is now, now that they are perceived to be the fourth best team, in the east by some people do they now regain that nobody believes in us we're the underdogs it's time to get dirty and it's time to get scrappy mentality that served them so well over the 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 entirety of the brad stevens era this is the first season where the brad brad stevens came in with like this murderer's row golden state challenging team now they come out of the all-star break or they really wrap up this this part of the season but they will come out of the all-star break with all of the national media going hey man toronto they're dangerous hey the bucks we've got to start giving the bucks their due they're the best team in the east philly that starting five is probably the second best starting five in the entire east nobody's going to be talking about the boston celtics anymore how are they going to take that in the locker room are they going to sit there and be like fellas nobody believes us anymore Maybe some of it's our fault. Maybe it's not. But we can't go out there and be who we thought we were supposed to be at the beginning of the season. We got to go out there and be dirty, scrappy, and fight. And I wonder if that just changes the mentality going forward and if that can pull something out of these guys to start playing hard for multiple for, for full games moving forward. I mean, it's, it's great if we can adopt an underdog mentality. Um, it's more familiar to us, but... I sort of, I'm not, all those teams improved, but did they actually, like, change substantially? Like, did they did they really, I mean, I think they all incrementally improved, but the core of those teams, like, why Toronto is successful and why Milwaukee is successful and why Philly is successful, I don't feel like their identities have changed. Or do you sort of feel like some of those other teams, as a result of the additions they've made, their actual identity is going to change and they're a fundamentally different beast? 
Uh, no, the identities don't change. Well, as it pertains to what I was saying about the Celtics, it doesn't even matter. Like, n- none of that actually matters. It's just the uh, the perception. Because ESPN and, you know, Bleacher Report and TNT, they're all going to be like, whoa, whoa, because they react. They, they have these yeah. strong reactions to these things. But I think we were going to win 68 games. Well, some of the national media did. So did I. But, um, <laughs> but, but for these teams, like Milwaukee did make themselves better. And what they did was they turned Thonmaker, who was basically out of the rotation, and a couple of second-round picks into Nikola Mirotic, who even if the Celtics are able to target him and, and do to him in Milwaukee what they did to him in New Orleans, well, Milwaukee can just sit him, and they don't have to play him. They can mm-hmm. go a different direction. Uh, I still think the Celtics have ways to – to beat each team there's a way to blow up each death star uh, as it were but mm-hmm. they they are milwaukee got better and it didn't cost them anything uh really to to get better so that just it solidifies them at the top and it just makes them that much more dangerous uh toronto got better uh does it mean that they can't be beaten no but uh, valanchunas was is not Marc Gasol, even even the Marc Gasol of, of today. Uh, he's also, by the way, hurt very often. And play and come playoff time, Valanciunas gets targeted a ton and is almost unplayable in playoff series. And to give up DeLon Wright and C.J. Miles, okay, like DeLon Wright was, was okay, um, but a consolidation of talent on their bench to – to shore up that bench. Like last year they had the bench mob and that was a lot of fun. But I think part of that was this, again, that same type of scrapper mentality that they came together to, to just form this one year kind of phenomenon this year. uh, And of course it, it changes that Pascal Siakam is starting a lot. Like he was an anchor of that bench unit. Now he's starting and now they kind of have to go to a more traditional shorter bench. So getting rid of a couple of those guys and upgrading their their center to a playoff-tested, battle-tested, grit-and-grind guy in Marcus Gasol. And by the way, grit-and-grind has not been the definition of the Toronto Raptors. So if you talk about anybody maybe changing their identity, it would be Marcus Gasol because the Raptors, the, what, what's the knock on the Raptors? That they're soft, right? That they go mm-hmm. into the playoffs and they wilt. Well, Mark Gasol is grit and grind, man. He's he's the guy that came from Memphis. He's not gonna he's not gonna sit there and take that shit. So he'll he'll change the culture a, a little bit. Uh, he won't take crap from anybody, uh, and then he'll be able to change their offense fundamentally when he's in the game because he's an elbow, a high post kind of facilitator that they just never never had. So that's gonna change how they have to be defended. So that that really improves their team. Now, he is not uh, the defensive player that he was, so he can be targeted in pick and rolls. Al Horford becomes supremely important in a series against the Toronto Raptors because there's no way Marcus Gasol can go out there and challenge Horford and get back. So pick and pops with Al Horford become very, very important. Having Aaron Baines back gets very important because he's a guy Bainsy. that can challenge. Yes. So I we knew I had to drop an Aaron Baines reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to drop Baines reference on one guy, on one of these five, <laughs> once on, the, on this podcast. But uh-huh. he he's a guy that can kind of help because obviously they need him to to handle the you know 
Gasol banging down low. So that changes them a lot. And for Philly, they made sacrifices on their bench. But that starting five can be very good if it clicks. There's they they have the highest risk, highest risk, highest reward, I think, of the three moves because they gave up bench players. Now they got back some bench players. Mike Scott is gonna be an interesting addition. Like he's he's an underrated addition. Um who else did they get? Uh Simmons from Orlando is gonna be an interesting addition. Oh, Boban makes it. Boban has like two games where he looks like he's an all-star and then he disappears for two weeks. So <laughs> he could be, he could be an interest. So they gave up some of their depth, but it's, it's not quite as bad, but uh, how does Tobias Harris really fit? How does Jimmy Butler react? How does that all come together? If it clicks, then they could be really, really, really good. And- as it, as at the time of podcasting, there are minus four against uh, yeah. the Nuggets, the starting line. Nine <laughs> points, 25 minutes and losing. Out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? Like it, it could it could work. If it works, then they've they've hit on something big. And there's a way to stagger that lineup. Like you don't have to play all five of those guys together all the time. You can you can get a couple of subs out early and then start staggering. So you're always keeping two or three of those guys with some of your bench bench players. So you can start a game with those five and finish a game with those five. And the rest of the way you're kind of you come out of the half to half with those five. The rest of the way, you're you're mixing and matching, so it's really possible that they've hit on something big. But it could be temporary because if for some reason Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler decide, okay, this was nice, and they leave, now you're left with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, and a bunch of okay players, and JJ Redick, and then you've got to start hoping your cap space comes in big because. That's all you got left, and if you don't sign any big free agents after that, then they're in a they're in a very tough spot. So, their high could, risk is those guys leaving. We could be in a similar situation, right? Like that kind of you know we, we we're not there yet, but we could be in a real similar situation with the with the possible AD trade, right? So, you know, like that depth consideration is a real thing. You know, I, I get that we have to give up a lot to get Anthony Davis. I'm not sure I actually, you know. I'll park to one side how I actually feel about this whole business, but it's probably going to happen. We're probably going to make an offer, and um, and 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 you know if that offer is successful, a lot of players are going to go out, and um, that's going to create some problems. And I guess uh, the question I'd want to ask is for you: like, at what point does the price become too steep for us trading out to trading for, for Anthony Davis? You know, like I saw just to start the bidding. Um, I saw one trade floated around, and it was it was um, it was Tatum, Horford, Smart. I think they were, wanted Robert Williams as well, and then th- and then no, three first rounders. Yeah, that doesn't make any so sense. Starting from there, where would you work down? Like, how would you alter that deal? What? Where would you? Well, I mean, first of all, you have to consider that they're going to be making draft picks for the um, Pelicans, and because of the nature of this deal. Um, they can't just sit there and say, we're going to give you the Memphis pick. We're going to give you the Kings pick and our pick. Here's, there's your three first rounders. The Celtics have to make, have to actually make whatever picks are in this first round. So those, those salaries will be in there for matching purposes. The salary. Right, 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 you know, right. And then the Celtics now created a roster spot for and they got rid of Jabari Bird and they have an open roster spot 
what they're, I think, trying to do is find a guy that might be able to help, but is more insurance. So they're not going to get, like, uh, people keep throwing around, like, Enos Cantor. They're not going to get Enos Cantor. They're going to get some guy that is going to be happy to sit at the end of the bench who is going to get rewarded for sitting at the end of the bench by getting the full taxpayer mid-level for the rest of this year and non-guaranteed for next year. And what that's going to end up doing is that's another $5 million, $5.3 million that you can throw into the trade to aggregate salaries. And that person is going to be like, hey, I'm going to get a million dollars more than I thought I was to sit at the end of the bench. But what Ainge gets is another meaningless $5 million to throw in there. So that money plus the draft pick money, depending on where that fit, where that fits, could that could be a wild swing. I have no idea what that's going to be. But those salaries go into the aggregation. Al Horford will not, absolutely not do it because he, if he's if he's involved in that, first of all, he has a player option. If he doesn't want to go to New Orleans, he'll just opt out on July 1st and become a free agent. So that you can't, he's not going to be involved in that unless he wants to go to New Orleans, which I would be surprised if he does. Uh, the whole plan with Al Horford was to have him opt out and sign a long-term deal to stay in Boston. And I think they still want to do that with Al Horford because having him – is he's such a unique guy, even as he winds down his career, having him here long-term to either come off the bench or, or be a starter alongside Anthony Davis has a ton of value. So I don't think he's going to be involved. They're going to involve Jason Tatum. They're going to involve Jalen Brown. Um, then whatever other salaries get aggregated, I think they want to keep Marcus Smart. And, and yeah, I don't so you think, think they'll I, keep Smart ahead of Brown? Yes. I think... I do. Too. I agree. Yeah, they better. So... Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are obviously like better scorers and they, they could become multiple time all-stars. Jason Tatum could become an all NBA level type of guy. Like that's their ceiling, but it's weirdly better to trade those guys away. They have such high value that you don't have to trade other great pieces to be part of that deal. You could trade those two guys, Robert Williams as a promising young guy, and then filler plus draft mm -hmm. picks. And then maybe like Shemi Ojale as a guy that with more opportunity, they can be like, look, this guy's a two-way player. He's a three and D guy. He could really help you out. He can do like the dirty work. The Celtics keep Marcus Smart. Um, they keep, they re-sign in this scenario, Marcus Morris. They re-sign in this scenario, Daniel Tice, who's a restricted free agent. And they bring back Aaron Baines. Then, now, now your depth isn't as affected. And as opposed to the Sixers, where your depth is affected because you got Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, the Celtics' depth is, effect, is affected because they've got Kyrie Irving and Anthony freaking Davis, which is a step above each player. And then... We still haven't talked about the progression of Gordon Hayward. Mm -hmm. And so your starting lineup could still be Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart, but with Kyrie Irving, uh, Gordon Hayward, and Anthony Davis. And now you've got Al Horford coming off of the bench. And Daniel Tice is on the bench. And, and uh, Aaron Baines is on the bench. And then you start going into the veterans who are good and want to chase a ring to, to fill that out. And then I know I'm forgetting somebody. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
In this scenario, oh. in my scenario, Ojale is gone. Maybe Gershon, I don't know. Uh, yes. Rozier would be gone in this scenario, but they, you know, they would have to fill out the rest of the roster with wing players, um, and they, they, they could try. Like, I mean, at that point, you can get into maybe some of those whatever three and D type of guys are available, um, and then you use whatever exceptions you have and minimums you have. And again, the depth definitely would be an issue. But when you can now stagger Kyrie and Davis, and theoretically, and I'm still a huge believer in Gordon Hayward, I mm -hmm. think Gordon Hayward, especially by the beginning of next season can be can get himself back close to what he was and all the Celtics need him to be in that scenario is close and if he can get back to what he was then watch out because now you've got yourself uh, a real real big three um yeah. and so, I, I do think that he can get I, I do think that the progression of, of Gordon Hayward is so important to what our trade package looks like in the offseason if Gordon Hayward can return to looking like he can be part of a big three, even if it's just the third guy as part of a big three with hypothetically uh, Anthony Davis and, and Kyrie Irving, suddenly our, our ability or our, our desire to trade someone like a Jason Tatum, it, it becomes far less of a loss because rather than having to consider keeping Jason Tatum as part of that big three, suddenly Hayward's return to his sort of 2017 form and we can pair him up and he, he's more in parity um, in terms of age with Anthony Davis and, and Kyrie Irving as well. And suddenly that, that changes their outlook completely, I think, if Hayward can return to his prior form. Yeah, that I mean, that would be huge. Uh, and I... I I am very much more patient when it comes to Gordon Hayward. I am very much more of a believer when it comes to Gordon Hayward because, um, as I've said multiple times on Twitter, as I've written about and talked about, that second surgery is, I think, a much, mm -hmm. much, much bigger deal than anybody cares to admit because it took away a summer. And at the risk of repeating myself, the summer basketball that he missed out on was crucial not just to get himself back into shape and back into playing form, but it was consequence-free basketball. He didn't start playing five-on-five five until the end of September. The that's, that's training camp. That mm -hmm. he started, he's, the season started in October. He just started playing five-on-five five basketball, and suddenly he's playing NBA basketball games. In, in the summer, when he should have just started playing five-on-five five basketball, back in June, it was consequence-free Go out there, and I don't have to worry about if I suck and I shoot 0 for 30, I'm going to cost my team a game. You just go out there and shoot 0 for 30. And doesn't, you don't have to pass to anybody in those scenarios. It doesn't matter. And he said it to me directly after the New York Knicks game. That was a place where I could have gotten my swag back. And that is something that was sorely missed. Beyond the time, beyond the setback, the four-month setback, he missed consequence-free basketball to go figure out what it was that he could do and what it was that he couldn't do. And he could get himself together without saying, shit, I suck. I need to start passing the ball a lot, overpassing even, because it's the only way I can help my team. That's what we saw in the beginning of the season, that Gordon Hayward lost confidence in himself and didn't have the ability to go find his confidence. He had to adjust his game to go try to say, it's an NBA game. We're supposed to be the favorites. I have to go out there and do something I can to keep us as the favorites. And it significantly changed who he was as a person, as a player, as a teammate. 
And that, I think, is the biggest thing that he lost. That's why it's going to take a while. And that's why he might even need this upcoming summer to go find that again. Uh, and, and it's why I have the confidence in him to go do it because he knows that's what he's been missing. And I think yeah. we've seen him try to adjust his game. And, and now I've started to see him be a little bit more athletic. It's starting to come back. So it's going to take time, but that's why I'm still a believer in Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Do, do you think if we did end up getting Anthony Davis and the team looked completely different to what it is now, then that would maybe not aid his recovery? Obviously, the offseason is going to have a lot to say, and, and the rest of this season and the playoffs as well, too, is going to shape that a lot. But do you think like the next evolution of this team, and maybe even Gordon Hayward in a microcosm, is going to come from this you know, hypothetical Davis Hayward, Kyrie, big three. Like, do you think that his role as like the third piece of that cog is going to suit his game more now where he is and is going to be more a natural progression for him rather than, I don't know if this is getting a bit too wordy or a bit too complicated, but like where we expect no. him to be at the start of this season? You know what I mean? I, I think it, it changes what the Celtics needed him to be when they first signed him. Like when they signed Gordon Hayward, they signed him, like we forget, they signed him before they traded for Kyrie. Like they signed him to be their guy. He was their guy. And they were going to pair him with Isaiah Thomas, but Isaiah Thomas was coming back from injury. Like Gordon Hayward was like the, the, like he was the guy. And then he goes out and he gets hurt. Well, first of all, then they go get Kyrie. So then it becomes him and Kyrie. And like, wow, that's a hell of a one, two punch. Then he gets hurt and whatever you throw now, Anthony Davis into this, that guy that they signed, that's not what they need him to be now. He can be the third. He can be Ray Allen to KG and Paul Pierce. Like he can be that third type of guy. He could be just more of a shooting threat. If, if he never retain returns to his full prior form and he just becomes a guy that can be a very, very good spot up shooter who can put the ball on the floor and, and pass off of the dribbling off of uh, attacking off of closeouts, I should say. That could be enough uh, when you're paired next to Anthony Davis, a generational player, and Kyrie Irving, one of the best offensive players on the planet. So that's the ba that's like the, the the baseline that they need from him, and I think that is very realistic. Uh, if he returns to his prior form, then he can really be unlocked, and he could be a guy that you sub out early and start second quarters with. And you can really hit a team over the head hard with Kyrie and Anthony Davis for 10, 11, 12 minutes of a first quarter. And then you roll out there with Gordon Hayward and Al Horford to start a second quarter. And now you're running pick and rolls, Gordon Hayward and Al Horford against yeah. second units. Now, whoa. And if he's, if he's that all-star level Gordon Hayward doing that, then, then you've got really, you really got something. And then you just need to, to, get some decent role players around that group and you've got yourself a formula for a very, very good team. Yeah, it's, it's certainly an exciting outlook. Now, look, we are running a little long here, so we're going to rush through this, this next segment, John. It's time now for a little segment we like to call the Reddit Recap. So... Each week, we, we scroll through all the top posts on Celtic Reddit and pick out two or three to discuss on the show. And seeing as we've got you here as a guest, John, we're going to run through some of the comments from the Lakers post-game thread 
and just try and get your take on, on some of the opinions here from various miscellaneous users from around Celtics Reddit. So I'm going to start with a user who goes by the name of Burner for Celtics. They ask, should we start thinking about the playoffs and wrap up Al Horford? No, I, I don't think so. As long as he's healthy, he should be playing. I think I think players need their rhythm. And I, I don't think fans understand the necessity for routine and and rhythm in a player's game. You, if you wrap him up and start reducing his minutes, then you, you take away from his conditioning. You take away from his routine. You take away from how many minutes he plays with other guys. You take away from how he impacts other guys. So as long as he's healthy then he should be playing his normal minutes. Now, one way to accomplish what that user was saying while still accomplish what I'm saying is to give him the occasional extra game off from mm -hmm. time to time. Uh, maybe you keep him out of back-to-backs moving forward. If, if the Celtics are kind of okay with where they're seated or however that goes, uh, maybe you minimize some of the wear and tear by taking him out of some back-to-backs. But other than that, I think you just you, you keep playing him his normal minutes as long as his knee is healthy. If there's any little twinge in his knee, then you then you can shut him down a little bit. But as long as he feels good, I say play him. Yeah, I mean, he really seems to have found some momentum as of late, and especially now with Bainesy out, like it's not like our big man rotation is deep enough that we can begin to even apply a minutes restriction to Al Horford. I think we should make the most of this this rhythm that he's got going and hopefully ride that into the playoffs. Uh, another user, uh, Fatboy858. I'm going to combine this. This, this. this is a sort of a two-part question. So Fatboy858 and Celtics, sorry, sad Celtics fan, quadruple six. One of them asks, why is Morris still starting? And the follow-up question is, why does Jalen get ignored during close games? So I think a lot of people out there, at least from the fan perspective, John, uh, are concerned that Marcus Morris should no longer be in the starting lineup and perhaps we should be favoring Jalen Brown. Well, I think the, the thing that that mentality misses is that Jalen Brown is doing what he's doing because he's in the second unit. He has said multiple times that being coming off the bench allows him to feel more comfortable with who he is, being who he is, and playing his kind of his kind of game. So uh, there is significant value to keeping him on the bench, to to keep him playing the way he's been playing. And I think what happens if you move him into the starting lineup, then he becomes less aggressive. He becomes a different kind of player. And just for this season, I think and it, next season is a different thing. And in playoffs, matchup-wise, I can totally see that changing as well. For now, this works. It works for Jalen Brown especially, mm -hmm. that he's taking advantage of the opportunities that he's got coming off of the bench. And it's I'd rather have Marcus Morris starting and – shooting his way out of whatever struggles that he's been in. And I think he's starting to do that. And it, it keeps another guy out of the starting lineup that needs to get a ton of touches. Like Marcus Morris doesn't need a ton of touches. He'll get, he'll score when he, whenever it is time for him to score, but he's, he's, they're not running a ton of offense for him. Him and Marcus smart can just catch and shoot when they're open. But, to have the starting lineup with Kyrie and Jason Tatum and Al Horford, but he doesn't need shots either. But you you let Kyrie cook, you let Tatum do his thing, 
and it takes it keeping Jalen on the bench removes one other guy who's going to try to be looking for his offense a, a bunch mm-hmm. that Jalen off the bench looks for his offense and he should look for his offense and they need him to look for his offense and I I like that I like keep it it's more valuable to me to have him keep that aggressive mentality than it is to maybe get what two or three extra points in the starting lineup like that doesn't matter to me uh and then on the flip side what you do with Marcus Morris by putting him on the bench, he becomes the guy that needs to look for his offense. And when Marcus Morris starts looking for his offense, he goes a, a little too iso mook, and, and that, I think, adversely affects him. So I think to get the mm-hmm. most out of both guys, this is probably the best role. And the only time I'd change it, obviously with injury, but I, I'm definitely open to changing it if the playoff matchups dictate that. But I, I just I like the mentality that Jalen Brown has right now. And I think it's because he's on the bench that's that's really allowing allowing him to be this type of player. Yeah, I agree as as far as a starting five. I think what I would like to see more of as we move towards the postseason is um, some semblance of a, a Hamptons five, a, a death lineup where we have Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown in the lineup to close games along with the other three starters. Do, do you see any merit to that as we move forward to uh you know towards the the postseason? Sure. That I I think that that was. I mean that was the original starting five. That's so right. yeah. that that's that's the lineup that we came into the season thinking like wow like we were already trying to give them nicknames. So <laughs> there's there's definite value to playing those five guys together. If those guys, if we get to a point where, uh, and it may it may be the playoffs or it might be the end of the season where, the mentality is just do whatever it takes and whatever extraneous stuff like. People need to understand, like early in the season, especially that part of part of what made the Celtics suck is that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were kind of like feeling themselves a little bit, and they were they were trying to be like the young stars. Like they were they were believing their hype, and the hype is there for a reason, and the hype should still be there for a reason. But they had kind of outside motivation in addition to playing good basketball they wanted to win but i also think that they wanted to win and they wanted to be the reason why they won uh so there was i i think once we can get past that and and maybe in the playoffs like when it becomes the the pressure of look we got to do whatever it takes to win and forget all that other stuff we're just gonna do whatever it takes to win maybe then we can get into a point where those guys that lineup becomes a thing and i wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a wrinkle that brad stevens has in his back pocket that he doesn't want to use very often to close the season because he doesn't want teams to see it and be prepared for it so uh i'm i'm definitely not opposed to that if everybody can play it the right way i think it can work very well but until we get to a point where I, I feel better about the chances of it working the right way and people approaching it the right way, now I kind of like how it's going right now. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So let's quickly move on. A user, Fortunate Fox, posted a tweet to Celtics Reddit by, you may know him, John, uh, one Sam Jam Packard. He writes, the Celtics locker room was Doesn't downright ring a bell. jovial. <laughs> was downright jovial after the game. Yabu had on some silly shoes and everyone was cracking jokes. Terry was amazed to learn Tatum is still only 20 years old. Uh, great lesson in moving past negativity. Which, uh, I, you were obviously in the locker room there along with uh, Sam Packard after the game yesterday um 
Can you, can you tell us more about about that mood? Because you know, certainly from the fan perspective, jovial is not a word that I would I would use. Post game, we were all <laughs> devastated. I had to go for a walk. I had to get off the internet. I couldn't I couldn't take it. So I'm just interested yeah. to hear you know what the mood was like in the locker room there. It was surprising to me, um, and I, I don't know, like they they moved on very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. The mood after the Lakers loss, I think, was better than the mood after the Knicks win. Um, And maybe that um, the pressure of the deadline was off. And I I think more than them saying, oh, God, we should be pissed that we lost. I really do think that there was some level of they were happy that the deadline was passed Nobody got traded. The rumors can stop and they can go off and kind of just be basketball players now. Yeah. Um, there, it was, I'm going to see if I can pull up the quotes because I have them in my email here. Somebody said something about everybody wants to be here, which I thought stuck out um, in, in the post game comments because we didn't ask about anything like that um yeah jason tatum sorry sorry i I found it um jason jason tatum was asked uh something about the relief of the deadline and he says yeah i'm glad to be on this team i know everyone else is probably watching so i'm glad that's over with uh it feels great everyone in here wants to be here We've been around each other, playing with each other. Hopefully, we just stay healthy and give our, ourselves a shot, which was a very interesting thing because to say everyone in here wants to be here, that line was a little telling to me. I, I think the pressure of the deadline being the, – the pressure of the trade deadline, I think, took a toll on them a little bit. And, and I don't know if that was part of the reason why – they they didn't play as hard when it came to the Lakers that they were just like ah, phew, all right, and they go out yeah. and they just they just kind of screw around or they just took a team too lightly, but I, I think part of the the surprisingly upbeat Celtics locker room was because of that. And look, Kyrie Irving's mood over the past couple of weeks has not been great. And after the Lakers game, like he was back to the Kyrie of earlier in the season where he was kind of giving answers and he was kind of giving a smile when he was answering some questions. And he was a little more back and forth with the media as opposed to like short terse answers, single word answers, short like that. So that's, that's just me guessing, but I don't think it's a coincidence. In general, would you say that like, this matters to me. Maybe it doesn't matter to anyone else, but I actually really, really want this team to like each other. Is is the sense that <laughs> that, that you get that in general they they do enjoy each other? Like, is this a is this a team that likes each other's company that that wants to be together? Yeah, I I've seen them in practices, and they all seem to get along pretty well. Uh, there's no team out there where everybody likes everybody. There right. there are. You know that, and that's that. I think applies to most teams above, like a high school level. Like, there's no, especially in the pros, where you're just kind of slammed together. You don't even have the 
general sense of, well, we're at the same school and we have college pride. It's, you know, free agents and different motive. Like they're in the pros. There's always like little clicks of, well, these guys hang out and these guys hang out and, you know, everyone else is cool with one another, but it's like, whatever. And so I, I think there's some of that dynamic on the Celtics as well, but there's no, like this guy hates that guy dynamic wow. going on at all. Like these guys, all of the, all of the wings and guards after a practice, which is rare nowadays, but they'll go and have their shooting drills uh, or shooting contests. And it's, you know, Marcus smart and Kyrie and Tatum and Brown Marcus Morris will get involved. Rozier will get involved sometimes and they'll have three point shooting contests and they're all busting each other's balls throughout the entire thing. <laughs> and yep. it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, they, they seem to have fun. Uh, you don't see Al Horford out there doing much, but you know, I think Al Horford is just generally liked by everybody, but he's also, a, you know, a dad and you know, he's probably like the team dad as well. So they're probably like, all right, Al Horford's gone. Let's go have some fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he definitely has that vibe. <laughs> but yeah, everybody, everybody, everybody oh, tends to get along, and I'm sure, I'm sure some guys like like other guys more than than certain guys. But um, and there's there are some guys that just probably just don't hang out with one another. Like I can't imagine uh, Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier having a lot to talk about when it comes to drinks at two in the morning. Like I don't think <laughs> that's happening. But um, but they still get along pretty well. So um, there's there's it's a pretty healthy locker room, I'd say. Right. I don't know. Gordon Hayward has just had a kid. He might be looking to get out of the house and uh, and uh, have a good time. <laughs> Maybe get away from the family. Um, that that I can I can appreciate that. <laughs> Who knows? So the the locker room interviews. Uh, one thing that makes um, covering the team. I, I use the word covering lightly, but from our perspective over here is those locker room interviews. They're on YouTube. <laughs> it's very very lightly. <laughs> <laughs> th those locker room interviews. They're on YouTube you know, half an hour after the game and we can see those and consume those like anyone else from the, from the comfort of our living rooms. Um, I'm just curious, like how logistically that happens. Like, where are you when you're, I, all we see is, you know, Kyrie Irving leaning against a wall. Obviously there's a lot going on. You can hear a lot of like white noise behind the camera. Um, logistically, you know, the, the game ends that the final buzzer um, goes like what, what happens from that point onwards until when you're in the locker room there? Yeah, so the final buzzer, let's say it's a 7.30 game, and it final buzzer around about 10 p.m. So 10 p.m., if I'm writing a recap, uh, what I'm done writing throughout the game, kind of every timeout, I'm kind of writing what the flow was up until that timeout. Um, so hopefully, and it didn't happen to me last night, but hopefully the game has been decided well enough where somewhere – in the last few minutes of the fourth quarter, I can go back and kind of write my intro, my lead mm -hmm. to the, the recap, and then go back and just fill in some quick blanks, uh, the last couple of things that happened, some final scores. So by 10.05, I put my laptop away, it's published, and I can go into the media room where, and then right next to the media room, there's where they do um, the Brad Stevens press conference. Uh, mm -hmm. By the way, the Brad, the Brad Stevens press conference is also the media dining area. So right behind, when you see Brad Stevens talking, there's a curtain. Behind that is a kitchen where they, b before the game, 
cook, you know, make our food and we go and and uh, we, you know, we eat before we, we start covering the game. So after that's over, they put up the curtain, they put up a little stage and then Brad Stevens is there. So about 1015, Brad Stevens speaks uh, 15 minutes after the game ends. Brad Stevens speaks. He sure. speaks for five minutes or so. And then I'm there. Or we're all there with our phones. It's my phone and I'm holding it up. Uh, and just recording it through my phone and uploading it to YouTube through my YouTube app on my phone. And then that's over, and we walk down the hall. I would say, uh, I don't know how far it is, but it's not very far, uh, about the length of a basketball court, down the hall, and we go into the Celtics locker room. At that point, the guys are in there. They're uh, either some of the guys have already showered, like the end of the bench guys who haven't played, they they don't need to ice or anything like that. They they shower mm-hmm. and they're they're like Brad Wanamaker's out the door real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you walk in there and it's like quick exit. exactly, but <laughs> <laughs> boom. Uh, a bunch of the guys have their feet in buckets of ice, like the big mop bucket. They, they just fill it with ice water and they stick their feet in there for twenty minutes, uh, which sucks. Oh God, that sucks. Uh, they bite, they're icing their knees, uh, and then they're you know off to the shower, and I would say probably around uh, 10:30 to 10:45 or so, we start to get somewhere in that range. We start to get the first of our interviews on the other side of the locker room, which is not a very big space. On the other side of the locker room, there's a little space where we gather, and again, hold up the phone. One of the players, Kyrie, will come out and just stand against that wall, and we record it, and I upload it to YouTube from there. Uh, some of the white noise you hear is just people in the background. There's uh, the weight room. Like, Shemi Ojale, every time he – like, last night he didn't play, he goes into the weight room after the game. and That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. Like, he – like, seriously – um, that he goes into the factory after the game and he came out like <laughs> it had to be, he had to get like a good solid 45 minute workout in afterwards. And like, he comes out of there like sweating hard. So there's even in a game where he doesn't play, he gets a strong workout in. So, um, it was, uh, that, that's, that's about the timing somewhere around 11 PM. So about an hour after the game, We've gotten – they usually send out three guys, sometimes four, and we record on our phones, and that's it. We post we post to YouTube as we're walking back to the media room. Then we start transcribing it, and then we start writing our stories. Interesting. I've always wanted to know how that works. My, my post-game experience is obviously <laughs> quite a lot different. Um, yeah. Look, it's, it's, been really, it's been really fun having you on, John. Before we let you go, what are your, your end-of-season predictions for the team? How, how far do you see them going? Um, you know, I, I don't know how far they're going to go. They, they have as good a Make chance. Make a prediction, you coward. Make a prediction. Better race team. We're going to win it all, baby. Yeah. Yes, there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think the Celtics definitely have as, as, as great a chance as getting to the NBA finals as any team in the East. The other teams, like I said earlier, have done a lot to steal themselves for this run, but they have weaknesses 
And the Celtics match up well with those weaknesses they have. And I think Al Horford's probably the linchpin of all of that. He's the guy that can kind of neutralize a lot of what those other teams have done. So I think if these guys get their acts together and play hard every the rest of the way and, and get to what we kind of expected at the beginning of the season, if they can reach that level, then they, they can absolutely get to the NBA Finals. They can get there. Um, they can they can certainly beat the Raptors. They can certainly beat the the Bucks, and they can absolutely beat Philadelphia. They have all the things in all the right places to do that. So, if they can get their themselves together, I think they they certainly have a very very good chance of getting to the NBA Finals. Awesome. All right, look, John Corrales, thank you very much for joining us. It's been really fun, mate. Um, and look, thanks again for taking the time. Uh, to come on and talk to us. Before we let you go, do you have any any parting words at all for the Celtics Reddit community? The only thing I just want to say to everybody is, man, I just I, I appreciate I just appreciate everybody, and um, I'm just happy to be a, a part of this community. And I'm just I hope everybody just it keeps enjoying basketball, enjoying this season. And I hope if if you read my stuff, I hope you enjoy it. But if not, then I hope that you you find somebody that you enjoy, and just let's let's all just enjoy this run together. And, and hopefully, if you do consume anything that I put out there, I hope that it enhances the experience and everybody just has some fun. We appreciate you too, mate. Yeah, good vibes. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. All right, that'll just about do it for this episode of the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Thanks, as always, everyone, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as we did. I want to say thank you again to John Corrales. The dude was so generous with his time and super chill and happy just to sit with us and talk hoops for well over an hour. Big thanks, of course, to Jackson and Joe for all their work. Okay, folks, we'll be back again later this week sometime after the game against the Sixers. Until then, it's been real, folks. We'll see you next time. Go Celtics. Peace.